Welcome to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast, where each week, God willing, you will be able to hear a poem, a story, a meditation, and a musical interlude that give expression to one Sufi's perspective concerning the mystical dimension of Islam. My name is Anab Whitehouse, and I will be your host. Although I am not a sheikh, nonetheless I did have the opportunity to spend 16 years in the company of a Sufi saint of the 20th century and by the grace of God, was able to gain a few insights into the nature of the Sufi mystical path through that association. So, without further delay, let's proceed to the essential contents of this episode. The following floretry selection is Tears of Life. There is surely magic in our capacity to articulate thought, but beyond that country of words lies an ocean of tears where uncharted depths give birth to currents of great complexity, to which language only can allude through concept-heavy crafts that skim the surface across life's sea, where emotional tides run heavily in all directions. Intensely, we feel disparity between what can be said and that which silently flows through inner paths that mark boundaries of vulnerability. We stand before being, clothed in asymmetry, like a homeless pauper in a city of the powerful and wealthy. Feeling a dynamic electricity in being's presence, we are overwhelmed with a sense of inadequacy, and tears begin to spill as theories Levy springs leaks in efficacy by which we wall away painful realities. Or beauty rises in our souls like a harvest moon that illumines night falls so brilliantly. We can do nothing but shed tears of gratitude for being given leave to see divinity in action through landscapes of conscious alchemy. Transcendent realms project shadows which weave illusion that form this worldly space and intuitively we cry in response to the mystery which plays hide-and-seek with our lives. A variety of inclinations form the sluice gates from which tears flow, from anxiety to joyous jubilee, from death's finality to creativity. Tears are indemnity for the limitations of language and reason. This week's short story is Job Well Done. Satan was feeling depressed. There was entirely too much love and harmony in certain locations. Furthermore, even in some of those areas where war or hardship prevailed, there were an alarming number of people who were becoming interested in spirituality. The situation was desperate. He assembled his troops. 
The troops trembled because they could tell by Satan's body language, as well as the anger that shone from his eyes, that he was in one of his really foul moods, the kind which made his normal demeanor seem almost angelic. He began talking with an almost overpowering intensity and urgency. The walls, floors, and ceilings shook and resonant with his every word. I'm entirely dissatisfied with your efforts, he said accusingly to the companions, associates, affiliates, followers, and newbies who had gathered at his behest. He continued by saying, More and more I am hearing gut-wrenching reports about human contentment or human spiritual realization or human acts of forgiveness, generosity, and kindness. With tears in his eyes, he stopped, blew his nose with a red heat-resistant hanky, and as he was replacing the specially treated cloth in a back pocket, he said, I don't know if you properly understand how such reports eat at my heart and cause me great anguish. When human beings are happy with God or engaged in seeking divinity, then for me, it's like existence has lost its purpose. Thoughtfully, he scanned across the crowd. Here and there, his gaze stopped, flowed into the eyes of an individual, then moved on. He shook his head in a dejected manner and said, You know better than anyone about what ensues when life loses its purpose. Despair, depression, emptiness are not far behind. He raised his arm and extended his forefinger into the space above and proclaimed, And when it comes to issues of despair, depression, and emptiness, I say, better humans than us. The crowd broke into a thunderous ovation, like hockey players paying tribute to a star player. The sound of pitchforks hitting against the floor reverberated throughout the room. After several moments of bedlam, Satan signaled with his hands and the noise gradually abated in compliance with his command. Playing the gathering like a fiddle, as he had done thousands of times previously, he smiled in his uniquely charming manner and said in his most entreating way, If you care about me, if you have love in your heart for my mission, if you are desirous of my peace of mind or even your own, then please double, triple, or quadruple your efforts according to your capacity and circumstances, and let's see if we can bring some real misery into the lives of human beings. He extended his arms in front of him as if he were embracing the crowd and broke into a broad grin. So, are you with me on this? His question immediately brought a resounding, Yes! He laughed in a cupped hand near his ear, saying, What? I can't hear you! The sound of yes became deafening. Satan beamed his appreciation, and the gathering began to disperse as individuals and small groups left the room with determination etched upon their faces. As they marched from the gathering, many of them secretly were hoping that she or he would be able to come up with something which was, well, devilish clever, because they all longed to be honored with an eternal membership in the coveted Hug of the Month Club. When some lucky denizen among Satan's cohorts would, as a reward for the most satanically inspired strike against the enemy, namely humanity, 
be embraced at a public assembly by the oldest and most infamous of those who sought to lead human beings away from God and spirituality. The task which lay before them was a daunting one, but Satan once again had fired up the troops into a state of feverish, delirious dedication and abandon. Quite some time passed, and the occasion finally had arrived when the winner of this cycle's Hug of the Month award was to be bestowed. The finalists were seated on the stage, one on either side of Satan's brimstone throne, and there was a current of electricity running through the atmosphere of the hall in anticipation of hearing about the stirring deeds, stratagems, and courage of the nominees' own stories. The MC for the evening was someone who apparently once had worked in television as a game show announcer, so he knew exactly how to warm up an audience. Not that there was much need of this given the nature of the place where the celebrations were being held. After the MC had laid out the groundwork for the evening's program, he turned to his left and shouted, Now let's hear from contestant number one. And as he said this, he urged the crowd to lend a nice round of applause. The individual stood up somewhat tentatively, peered into the extremely bright and very hot floodlights which bathed the stage, and nervously walked to the floor mic. Quickly finding his confidence, he said, Simultaneously, I have managed to start up five different wars on four different continents, including, believe it or not, Antarctica. A murmur of delight and awe rippled through the audience. The demon at the mic raised his hand, indicating he was not through. And when the crowd had settled down, he said, An early report suggests there have been numerous deaths and casualties, as well as the displacement of rather large population segments. The grief of those affected, I have been told, has been nothing short of breathtaking, at least from our point of view. The demon gave a farewell, triumphant salute to the crowd with both of his hands clasped above his head and returned to his seat. The audience thundered its approval. The MC turned to stage center and announced, Without further delay, let's bring on contestant number two! And he turned and pointed in the direction of his other left. The individual being pointed to by the MC bounded from his seat and practically ran the short distance to the microphone. He was anxious to tell his tale. When the drama of the moment had built to an appropriate level, the demon paused and then merely said, I have spread dissension between husbands and wives. He was filled with pride for his accomplishment and started to return to his seat. Satan commanded him to stop. He ordered the contestant to approach him. When the demon came to within a few feet of the throne, Satan rose and embraced the demon, and in doing so he had announced this month's winner of the Hug Award with its eternal membership perk. There were shouts of protest from the audience. Sounds of disapproval could be heard rising up in different parts of the hall. Satan glanced at the audience with nonchalance. He said, So, you think someone who starts five wars or four different continents and in the process help generate hundreds if not thousands of deaths, casualties, and refugees should be the winner? 
The audience was in a defiant, rebellious mood. And normally Satan found this becoming in individuals, but not tonight. The crowd clearly did not understand the significance of the accomplishment of this month's winner. Satan requested silence. And the very act of making a request instead of a demand was such an anomaly, the gathering was shocked into silence. Satan had a million and one tricks up the sleeve of his smoking jacket. Look, he said in a somewhat impatient manner, wars always come to an end, and furthermore, wars rarely encompass the whole world, but tend to erupt in limited theaters of operation. Moreover, although some people do die in wars, the people who are wounded or the individuals who are displaced eventually get to resume their lives, although perhaps with some degree of difficulty, which is, of course, an added bonus for our side. Satan let his words sink in and then continued on. But when someone spreads dissension between husbands and wives, every community, every city, every nation on the face of the earth is affected. The quality of human life goes downhill. Children often are abused and neglected. Families, the bedrock of community life, are in constant chaos, disharmony, and misery as a result of such deeds of dissension. And quite frequently, the wounds inflicted through this dissension never heal, remaining raw and painful for a lifetime, and therefore are able to infect numerous generations with enmity and heartache. In fact, he concluded, if the truth be told, the work of the demon you all wanted to win tonight, the guy who helped start the wars, his work is made infinitely easier through the efforts of tonight's real hero, and he hugged the winner again. The audience erupted with elation and thunderous roars of approval, regretting their earlier outbursts of immaturity. Man, they thought, this Satan really knows his stuff. Today's musical interlude is titled beginning.
From the outback of Australia to the rainforests of South America, from the frozen tundra of Siberia to the plains of Serengeti, from the Himalayans of Asia to the white cliffs of Dover, from the geysers of Yosemite to the glaciers of Antarctica, you are listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. This week's meditative essay is entitled, Listen. What we hear depends on how we listen. How we listen can be shaped by many factors. Sometimes when we hear a person talking to us, we are not really listening to them at all. We know words are being spoken. We may pick up words here and there. We even may know the gist of what is being said. Nonetheless, we are preoccupied with something else. The individual speaking to us is running second best or worse in our attention sweepstakes. On other occasions, we may be both hearing and listening to what someone is saying. However, for whatever reason, we just can't grab hold of what is being said. Our minds are sort of fogged in. Maybe the topic or issue doesn't interest us. Maybe we are tired. Maybe the other person is not very articulate. Maybe we don't care for the other person all that much and as a result find, for instance, empathizing or sympathizing with the individual difficult to do. We hear with our ears, however, we listen through many other modalities. For example, we listen through our minds. In other words, we listen through, among other things, our attitudes, values, understandings, beliefs, interests, and memories. All of these shape the way we listen to what we hear. We listen through our emotions. We filter what we hear by means of our fear, anger, jealousy, pride, lust, envy, and so on. We listen through our moods, our hope, sadness, apathy, happiness, Impatience and irritability all tend to color what we hear. We listen through the conditions of our bodies, feeling healthy, tired, sick, hungry, in pain, or energetic may affect what we hear. We listen through our motivational states. We tend to hear what others say in terms of our ambitions, goals, purposes, and plans. We listen through our fantasies. We project the scenarios generated by our imaginations onto the words of other people. However simple what we hear may be, how we listen can complicate matters very quickly. Our modes of listening are the source of many different kinds of distortion, misunderstanding, and communication breakdown. We may be able to repeat exactly the words we hear. Nevertheless, the listening context in which those words are immersed can give those words an array of meanings quite far removed from what the speaker had intended. Sufi masters seek to help initiates transform the way they listen. There are at least two stages to this transformation process. To begin with, emotion, mind, motivation, fantasy, physical condition, and mood all give expression to characteristic ways of affecting the manner in which we listen. Thus, every mode of listening has an identifiable phenomenology or experiential flavor. 
Consequently, one aspect of the aforementioned transformation process is to learn how to listen to our modes of listening. By becoming familiar with the currents running through our internal listening milieu, we will be in a better position to be aware of the many different ways in which our mode of listening is capable of distorting what we hear. Secondly, we must begin to substitute other modalities of listening for the quote-unquote normal methods of listening used by our egos or false selves. For example, consider the following. When we listen through insincerity, we cannot hear sincerity. When we listen through intolerance, tolerance sounds foreign to us. When we listen through indifference, compassion has a false ring to it. When we listen through impatience, we have no time to listen to patience. When we listen through grudges, forgiveness seems hypocritical to us. On the other hand, listening through sincerity, compassion, tolerance, forgiveness, and patience leads to very different results than when we listen through insincerity, indifference, intolerance, grudges, and impatience. Even when the former modalities of listening are not reciprocated by others, we tend to be, for instance, more at peace with ourselves and the world than when we employ the listening modalities of the false self. There are many other residual benefits besides a greater sense of peace which emerge when our way of listening to others becomes more spiritual in nature. In fact, our whole way of interacting with other human beings as well as the rest of creation, undergoes a transformation. Quite frequently, when a person first comes to a Sufi sheikh, the individual listens to the spiritual guide mostly in problematic ways. As a result, not much of what the teacher says stays with the individual in a manner which would affect the latter's behavior. The individual may remember what the sheikh has said, nonetheless, the connection between what is said and changing the way we listen to ourselves, others, or creation continues to elude the individual. When, by the grace of God, a spiritual inclination arises in the individual to maintain permanent association with the spiritual guide, this spiritual link becomes the seed of the philosopher's stone, so to speak, through which the individual's way of listening begins to change. Through spiritual association with the sheikh, the heart of the individual becomes, by the grace of God, purified. As the heart becomes purified, the individual begins to listen to the sheikh's teachings with the heart and not through the beliefs, emotions, moods, motivations, and fantasies of the individual. When the person starts listening to the sheikh through the purified heart, the words of the sheikh begin to seep into and shape the fabric of the heart. If God wishes, this leads to further changes of listening behavior in the seeker. The Sufi master always listens to the individual through love. Whatever we may think or feel, we are listened to with love. Whatever our faults and mistakes may be, we are listened to with love. Indeed, the spiritual guide listens to all of creation through love. This modality of listening gives expression to one of the ways in which the Sufi master worships and serves God. You have been listening to the Sufi Reverberations podcast. I hope you will join me next week for a new episode of this program. 
May peace be your companion. Thank you.